0: Hornsby is a community-focused, independent bookshop staffed by a passionate team that loves to engage with local readers. They host many monthly book clubs and numerous author events. You can check out their current offerings on their social media, Berkala Books, Hornsby. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V.
1: From all of us in the writing community, we just think they're amazing because. You put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show.
0: The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. and I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. Uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Today I welcome Victoria Brookman, author, activist and academic. She studied English and creative writing at the University of Sydney and Macquarie University and is currently a doctoral candidate at Western Sydney University. She worked for a number of years as a political staffer and was the Labour candidate for the seat of Bradfield. Victoria was one of the early founding members of Destroy the Joint, the founder and spokesperson of Lactivists Australia. Today we talk about her debut novel, Burnt Out. Hey, Victoria, welcome hey. to the hey.
1: Thank you, Danny. I'm so happy to be here. I'm a long time listener.
0: Very excited. Well, when I saw you on socials and you had your book out, burnt out, I thought, I have to talk to you. And that's what the book we're going to talk about today, your first book, debut book, Out into the World. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. But before we get into all of that, what's the elevator pitch?
1: So the novel begins with my main character, Callie, losing her husband, her cat, and then a bushfire burns her house down while she shelters next door with her neighbours. When she comes out, she sees her house in ruins, and she's got this news reporter waving a microphone in her face and asking all kinds of questions, and she gets so upset that she just starts yelling at Australia's rich and powerful for their inaction on climate change and ranting at them to fucking do something (laughs) apologies to the listeners who don't like swearing there's a lot in my book that's a quote Um, Victoria um so her rant goes viral and soon she well she's put up by one of those rich and powerful people uh who's a Sydney tech billionaire he offers her a place to stay in his boathouse um on the edge of Sydney harbour so that she can rewrite her so-called lost great Australian novel. And suddenly it seems like she's fallen on her feet. She's, uh, she's got her publisher happy. The media loves her. The rich people love her. And she's the new face of climate change activism in Australia. But things aren't quite as they seem. And how far is she willing to go to maintain this new success? And how long before this house of cards comes tumbling down?
0: Oh, you've done this before, haven't you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I really liked about the book that it was such a fun read I read it you know when I was still um you know in relaxed mode I think I might have come back to work but my brain maybe wasn't there quite yet it was just a really fun book but it did have this other layer as you mentioned exploring important issues such as bushfires and climate change and capitalism Mm -hmm. how did you balance the two of having fun and then dealing with these other serious issues
1: yeah, look, I think, honestly, um, my background is in politics um, professionally and as a hobby for a long time in, in my earlier life. Um, and so having political discussions about everything in life is just You know, part of my everyday. Um, And I really wanted to write a fun novel that um, people wanted to read. I was kind of sick of trying to write literary fiction that was all serious and tried to be this kind of poignant thing and never got any messages across because it it was never kind of right for other people, (laughs) only for me. And so I was, I really set out to write something that everyone could enjoy. And um, and then the politics just came naturally
0: as part of that. As I, as I mentioned before, you explore bushfires. I mean, you live in the Blue Mountains. Have you always lived in the Blue Mountains?
1: No, I actually grew up in Sydney um, okay. and we moved here about six years ago.
0: What drew you to this landscape besides the fact that you're living there now? What else drew you to use it as the setting for your novel?
1: Yeah, I think that the mountains, um, one of the things that I love about living here is that we are in this national park that is like the size of luxembourg or something and if you go out and i mean it gets pretty suburban at times like i don't back onto bush i'm here i'm on a single road ridgeline um so i'm surrounded by bush but i don't kind of look out at it from my back door like some people do but every time i do get to see the bush there is just so much life in it and there's such a magical vibe knowing that so many creatures are out there living and thriving and dying and there's trees falling down and providing homes for animals. And it's just there's something so incredibly magical about the bush and that made it extra hard in the black summer to know that not only was the bush very dry and, um, you know, prone to burning long and <laughs> hot, but that there were so many animals and bugs and, you know, beautiful birds that were suffering in that heat and then being pushed out of certain areas and into into other ones because of the fires. Um, and, and I think that's such, you know, since since people have been storytelling here, people, there's always been, you know, it's always been about the bush. And, you know, when Europeans came and started telling stories, the bush featured so heavily in Gothic tales. And, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting in those contexts that it's, it's kind of something that's deeply feared but always deeply respected as well. Um, and that was another thing where it just made sense to me to include the mountains and that landscape in it as a kind of living thing.
0: Yeah. And the destruction of nature, you know, it also lends itself to the story as well, you know, because she almost has that new beginning and then an ending, not only with, you know, relationships and with her life and with, you know, the personal revelations she had. So I thought that was really interesting to show the destruction of the landscape and how that showed many things. Because, you know, the bushfires, we've just come out of them, you know, pre-COVID days and they were just yeah. so destructive and so scary. And even if you weren't on the footstep of them, which would have been terrifying as you probably were, you know, you you smelt the smoke every day. So it was a really powerful feeling that sort of touched all of your senses. So yeah. to see, like, you know, the people in in your book and how they they cope and struggle with that, it was, I think it was an, a, a story that needed to be told.
1: Mm. Yeah, I felt like I, I think that's accurate. I um, one thing that really drew me to writing about the mountains as well was the community. Mm. Um, and which you know i I'm, as you would know, is is very a strong theme in the book. I um, I'd only been here for like three years or something by that stage, or four years, and so I was still you know still a blow in basically. And um, I'd always been struck by how wonderful the community was up here, but um bushfire season is something else in this community. Everyone pulls together. Um, when there's fires on the go, people check on each other. They tell each other when they're going. Um, you know, they, they make sure that each other have proper evacuation plans. So, you know, what, what will you be doing? You know, my, one of my neighbours was saying, I'll just go to my parents' house a couple of suburbs away. The other one was saying, I'll wait until I get a knock on the door and then I'll go to the bolo and I'll wait for it all to blow over. And hope for the best. (laughs) Um, But it was a real, very community minded like it's like it supercharged the community and um, that was one tiny positive aspect in the face of what was a really difficult summer and I wanted to capture that as well.
0: I think you captured it really well and when you say that sense of community and people looking after each other you could really see that with the characters particularly in the beginning with those three characters who were trapped while there was a fire burning and it was really nice how they just put everything else aside and just looked after each other. And sometimes, you know, people had to be told, that's a really bad idea, going out in your car. Yeah. Like, you yeah. need to come in here, you know, because yes. when you're in that, you know, pressure of panic and fear, you might not make the best choices. So I really liked who everyone was looking out for each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we're just going to make mention, we make mention of animals before, and I can hear an animal in the yes. background. Yes, it's Victoria. my puppy.
1: His name is Patches. <laughs> Hi, Patches. Hi.
0: <laughs> Patches just wants to be part of the podcast. So we'll he give really Patches, wants to
1: be part of the fun. <laughs> we'll give
0: Patches some airtime.
1: <laughs> yeah. What do you have to say to the world, Patches? <laughs> but for people who
0: can't see, which is everyone because it's a podcast. Um, <laughs> it's very cute, black and white yeah, dog black and white. Is staring she's at me. It's very cute. Oh, when you
1: fluffy tail.
0: When you said puppy, I was expecting this tiny little dog. It's not a oh, tiny dog. He's,
1: okay, so he, he turns one in like a month, but he's still a puppy to me. He's a bit upset because the family's gone out and he's like, how
0: dare you leave me behind? Well, now i don't want to say he's the only dog who's appeared on the podcast because he's not but it's pretty special to have appeared you know for a dog on the podcast
1: pretty rare okay patches
0: (laughs) (laughs) now it was interesting when you were then talking about climate change and whether the wealthy are really doing their part you know and you Hmm. talked about this wealthy person throwing some money but you know it's all relative and if you've got a billion dollars maybe what you donate isn't A whole big dent in your cash flow it's a great thing to do obviously Hmm. but you know maybe you could be a bit more authentic in what you do. And you really explored that with the people who were wealthy and lived in this world of wealth and they weren't doing anything because they were just chasing you know success and and you know living under you know i guess what we call the capitalism reign so tell me about the inspiration for this
1: for the rich people
0: yeah just how you thought about you know the wealthy and how they're contributing to society and we're not saying everyone's like this just the people in your book victoria
1: yeah just (laughs) not naming any names um look there were times during the black summer where there were celebrities who were donating like 500 grand or maybe a million bucks and they were people that i knew for a fact were flying overseas whenever they felt like it in private jets and um (laughs) It was like sitting around the mountains in our family home. And like we have a tiny cottage in the mountains and that summer, I'm sure there'll be so many people who can remember, but with the, with the smoke in the air, it was literally a hazardous air quality up here for Mm. so long. And, my kids couldn't go outside and we couldn't go to the local pool to have a swim and um we couldn't go like to this the south coast for holiday because that was on fire and we couldn't go the north coast because that was on fire (laughs) and um you know even if we wanted to kind of escape to any of these places everywhere was covered in smoke and the idea that there were people being like Oh I'm a like multi-millionaire and I fly around in my jet but I'll give you 500 grand to to the RFS when the RFS should be publicly funded anyway. Um, that was just infuriating and and I think since then um, that point has been proven again and again, especially with billionaires with people like Bezos and musk, and branson having their space programs like and not even just like science space programs but space tourism programs (laughs) to to just like make that extra bit of money on top of of this incredible waste of resources when the planet is burning um (laughs) i think you know it's something we're going to see again and again and the more ways that we can hold these people accountable the better and, and, you know, I think that includes changing government, that's my opinion. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it also includes voting with our feet in terms of what we consume when we consume it and, um, and just kind of having public dialogues about
0: it, mm-hmm. including in art. Absolutely. I mean, what's not to love about space tourism, right? Oh, I don't <laughs>
1: like it costs you know what three times the value of my house but sure and I think it's
0: like a really short period of time I think you go up yeah. to space like a couple of minutes and then yes. you come back down
1: yeah yeah like well we're here wow this is amazing okay we're done well that was worth it great <laughs>
0: See, so this is where your voice really comes out in the novel. This kind of very intelligent, but very kind of cynical about the world. That's what I loved. I loved that. I loved that voice. And I'm hearing it now because I'm oh, feeling okay. like the main character might actually be you. <laughs> the
1: question is been asked before.
0: I'm on the money then. I'm on the money.
1: Oh, <laughs> <Well>, definitely not. <laughs> now,
0: what are the pressures of being a debut author?
1: Um, well, it's interesting because there's obviously, um, you know, a lot of writers could tell you that they've written for years. I wrote for eight years. I was writing two other novels, um, two and a half really, that I could never get to a stage where anyone actually wanted to publish them or, or represent them as an agent. And, um, I was kind of going around this carousel of like doing those things, but also, um, doing uni and on the side and parenting and, um, and I feel like, you know, in a way writing was my way of like having something to myself, which I'm sure you can relate to when you've got kids around, yeah, like you like, I need something else in my life. Um, so, you know, the, I think like in a lot of ways, the pressures were like those eight years of trying before I came up with Burnt Out. Um, Especially the five years I'd spent writing my novel about a family (laughs) that chooses to join a cult, which I then gave to Callie, my protagonist, as her failed novel idea. (laughs) Yes, it is did. Because I was like, it's got to mean something. (laughs) I love that. I'd just given up on it and I was like (laughs) in severe despair and then I was like, I know, I'll give it to this new character. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, aside from all that really hard work and then having that entire year before the novel comes out where you're working on it and it's like, wow, I've achieved this thing of getting a publishing deal with a major publishing house. Now I have to like actually get... (laughs) book ready to publish for like not very much money um and 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 then when you do get it published it's like wow great this is amazing and there's so many lovely people who support it and are talking about it and then you're like what's next god (laughs) god gotta write the next one (laughs) I think it never ends and I, I think even like I talk to people who are like on their seventh and eighth novels and they're like yeah it's just like it's it's its
0: own hamster wheel right yep, <laughs> absolutely but a great hamster wheel yeah it's fun <laughs> yeah just I want to come back because I've been talking to a lot of women lately about you know motherhood and if they've got particular young kids because that's you know sort of very real and very fresh for us mm. um and having to carve something out and I think it's, it's it's really interesting because being a mother is obviously so rewarding and you love your kids more than life itself but it's all consuming which mm. is great on one hand yeah. but there's this sense of in you know, losing a part of yourself i guess because it is all consuming and so it's interesting that i'm speaking to a lot of women about that need that desire to carve something out for themselves because so for, for so often we just get cast as a mother You know, Mm. you have children and all of a sudden you are just a mother, not just a mother. That's who you are now. Yeah. It's interesting, and I was having this conversation with someone else about even when you see newspaper articles, you might see businessman does X, Y, and Z, but Mm. it's always mother of two does X, Y, and Z. Yes. So we're always very (laughs) defined about, you know, when we're defined by the fact that we have children. And I just find that really interesting in society and then I'm interested in how different women deal with it. So I started this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, I started writing. Um, I was about 27 and I had like a year or two before handed in this um, honours thesis. I was a bit late with my honours, but um, <laughs> I'd, I'd finally finished this honours thesis on this New York poet and I was like almost a year into maternity leave and I was like, God, I can't believe I did all that work on that thesis with all that research on, you know, 1910s New York and the poetry scene in Greenwich Village and none of it will ever come to anything. (laughs) And I was like, well, I'm on leave, so I may as well start writing a novel about it.
0: absolutely use the research
1: why not <laughs> and i was like it won't take long next thing you know i'll have my million dollar contract <laughs> i see you uh, laughing about that now,
0: I, yeah i see you laughing about that we that's not true you didn't get a million dollar co- what why oh, didn't you get no, a million dollar like contract?
1: knock a couple of zeros off that. <laughs> quite a few zeros
0: <laughs> <laughs> so mm. funny. so you've told me a little bit about your journey to publication and you said you know eight years writing no one wanted to take on your book or publish it or even Mm. take you on you know as an agency so what was different about Burnt Out tell me about the 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 publication journey to publication for this book
1: yeah, burnt out. Um, as I said, I'd just given up on my novel idea about the family that chooses to join a cult, which I still love and I will definitely get that published <laughs> one day. <laughs> uh, but I had given up on it in like November 2019, and the Black Summer was already happening, and it was just this day when I knew it was over. I just <laughs> was. I it was not going anywhere. It had been like almost five years of working on that one idea and I'd been tying myself in knots over it and um, and I just had no other perspective on like what I needed to do and I just went, that's it, I'm done. And then at the start of December, we'd had this, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of the black summer already and we had fires advancing from the north and the west and the south and I remember talking to my next-door neighbour and she was like, you know, don't you wish it had just, like, come already? <laughs> like, I'm sick of waiting. And she's lived in the mountains her entire life. And she was like, you know, like, um, we're, like we're both, like, we're, we're kind of sick of it. Like, we're over this. Like, come on, bring it on. Bring on the fire. Sure, just burn everything already so we can get on with our lives. Like, because it was so slow on so many of those days, you know, mm-hmm. just sitting there waiting. Um And then I was standing in the shower, um, definitely having a short shower that was within water restrictions, Uh, (laughs) uh, and I had this weird shower thought of, like, what would happen if a fire did come and it burnt all my drafts Mm -hmm. and it burnt everything that I'd worked on with that book and the book before, and it burnt my computer and it burnt my hard drives, and everything was just gone. What would happen then if I lost everything I'd been working on for five years? And then I was like, uh, you know what? Like I could see in that darkness some some positive aspects. Like it'd be cleansing in a way. It'd be horrible to lose everything, of course. But you know, also, <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe a good goal. way to
1: start again. I'd be like, well, that's that. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. too bad about that one. And so I just started following this thought and um I remember I wrote it down in my Trello board um and was like you know I think I called it what did I call it like um you know that oh god I can't remember that movie name it was like the one with like Bradley Cooper where he takes that drug and it suddenly makes his life amazing and he can write this new novel (laughs) where's that drug can we get Yeah, that? it's like, it's called, they call it NZT. <laughs> uh, I, oh, I can't remember, what, but I was like, oh yeah, limitless. I was like, in my Trello board, it was limitless meets bushfires, <laughs> which is like not at all what, <laughs> not at all what burnt out became. That's but that awesome. was just my like, initial idea was like, how could that make someone's life amazing, right? L- losing everything. And, um, and then I just spent like the next few weeks thinking about this idea. And um, noting down things about our evacuations, um, I wrote the first lines of it while I was evacuated with, like, all our stuff in the back of the car. It was down at Penrith Westfield. Mm -hmm. And I stood there and wrote, like, this line on my phone about it and was like, this is it. Like, this is the start of it. And um, and then uh, as the Black Summer ended, I sat down and was like I've my childcare started for one thing I suddenly had daycare for my daughter and the kids went back to school and um and so I could sit down in the library at Yumi, and I had time before my doctorate started so I just spent this month like starting to write this book and then COVID hit and I was just starting my doctorate and um so we we're at home and my husband suddenly didn't have to commute for an hour and a half each way into the city And so I just had this extra time (laughs) to write this book and it just flowed and flowed and flowed out of me, all that horror and trauma of that summer and the anxiety of it and the rage about people sitting in their air-conditioned offices in a city, you know, making decisions about the future of ordinary people when they were just in there, you know, they didn't care Mm -hmm. about the smoke and the heat. They were sitting pretty in a CBD office, like, they weren't there every day with my kids in the air conditioning, stuck inside. And, um, you know, all that rage just made its way into the book. And um, I, I wrote it really, really quickly. And then um, after a couple of weeks of lockdown, I made the drastic decision of pitching this book to an agent when... It was not finished. <laughs> it was absolutely not finished, but I'd been through so many submissions processes over the time when I'd been running the other books. that I was like, you know what, they'll all reject it, but they'll give me a tiny bit of useful feedback because I'd never written commercial fiction before. And I was like, I just want a bit of, you know, to know whether I'm on the right path. And this agent was like, oh, send me the full manuscript in two weeks. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no problem. And I was like, "Yep, yep, I'll do that. Yeah, okay." And I was like, "So, good news is an agent is interested. Bad news is got to write forty thousand words in two weeks." (laughs) And I
0: did it. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, so I got this these words down, and I actually didn't. I didn't even end up signing with that agent. I went with a different one who had been out there looking for a bushfire-inspired novel, and I just happened to write to her and say, you know, like. Just shopping this round basically I've got interest from someone else but I want to make sure I'm getting the right one for this book and um she was like yes let's let's do this and so because I had someone else interested she was like you know give me the weekend basically and um she loved it and I signed on with her and then um she you know we did another draft together um just to iron out some kinks and she started shopping it around and um in I think it was in notes. It was about twelve months to the day in the start of November in 2020 that I signed my publishing deal with HarperCollins. So that was twelve months since I'd given up on the wow. last on the on the last novel, which was um, a very quick turnaround, really. Mm. <laughs> for yeah, someone no, who's is. spent eight years writing two novels in a publishing
0: world 12 months is very fast <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> but I think um I think in terms of why it did get picked up I think it was just incredibly topical and mm. um you know we we're in the middle of COVID but people hadn't forgotten and people still haven't forgotten no you know people no. still want to talk about it and reflect on their own experiences at that time and you know I've had people speaking to me who are like I was down the south coast when the fire came and I had to evacuate and I had to shelter here and there and people yeah it's still fresh in our minds people still want answers and people still want to make sure that this kind of stuff is prevented in the future
0: Mm, absolutely I love that story I love that had a lovely happy ending after all that writing and (laughs) and you just wrote 40,000 words in two weeks you need to do it was a real (laughs) NaNoWriMo you would kill it
1: I know well, I tried to do NaNoWriMo last year and I was just like I I was literally burnt out I started it and then I was like you know what no I can't do this I'm just gonna See, step back for The it.
0: secret the secret to NaNoWriMo is having an agent going I like your work I want it in two weeks that's yes. the secret yeah
1: <laughs> so and just pretending until you get it done
0: <laughs> that's right that's right now Victoria you did say you're a long-time listener so you know this question's coming mm-hmm. Why do you write? Um I you know what? I, I don't
1: remember what anyone ever says about this. No, okay. Why do I write? I write because I have to. I um I otherwise I get cranky. I love that. Um it's true. I like my life starts to fall apart. And then I'm like, why don't I feel in control of my world? And then I'm like, oh, I haven't written anything for a few days. Um that's the basic like reality version, but I suppose. In terms of life, um, I think storytelling is a beautiful thing and I think that all humans are capable of storytelling and I'm very lucky to have a partner who um, supports me and has supported me this whole time to hone my craft. And, um, you know, I I love taking that chance and, and I'm deeply grateful. And so... <laughs> yeah I guess you know I write because I have to but I also write because
0: I can <laughs> mm, no that is lovely and it's it's always more than one reason yeah and sometimes <laughs> when I ask people a year later it'll be a different reason so I love yeah. that it's ever evolving it's always that's evolving right. into something else so that's pretty cool well Victoria I've loved seeing your book out there because I know I've seen you on socials for a while now and then when someone has it's a debut funny. book and I get really excited for them, and I'm like oh we have to have a chat about it so it feels like I've already kind of know you a bit even though we We've never met. It always feels like that in the book community, though, because you talk about books and you know you're in the sort of social sphere and the book community.
1: The book community is so beautiful, and I don't think I don't know that readers always understand like how much people like people are so supportive of one another, Mm -hmm. and especially in the women's fiction community, people will just like give you any tips they've got, like. They'll support you. They'll promote your work on their own socials. Um, I know the crime people, the, cr- the criminals, no, the, the crime, crime writers, <laughs> the crime writers have a similar vibe going on. Like yeah. people just, uh, you know, they want to see each other succeed they do. and it's so beautiful. I it love is. them all.
0: <laughs> no, I did. It's, it's one of the most supportive environments I think you can ever find yourself in. And I always save the world reflected the book community geez we'd be we'd be doing pretty well i reckon yeah
1: oh my god yeah i'm pretty sure we would have solved climate change Uh, we would have solved everything victoria (laughs) really yeah seriously
0: yeah no no pressure no pressure thank you so much Victoria it's so nice to see you know That's the journey funny. to hear about the journey but also see you know the progression on social media and then someone does have a book out into the world and it's this you know wonderful book that I really enjoyed it's really cool to see um you know to see that process so thank you so much for sharing it with me and thank you for coming onto the pod thanks I know book events have been cancelled and rescheduled, so I'd love to do a couple of shout-outs for our fellow writers and book lovers so you can get to their launches when you can. Susie Howden is having a launch at Collins Bookshop in Wagga on the 5th of March for There's a Shark at My School. Sally Bothroyd is launching her comedic mystery Brunswick Street Blues at the bookshop Darwin on March 23 at 5pm. Natasha Scholl and Sarah Krasnostein Will be at the Readings Emporium in Melbourne on the 22nd of March at 6pm. Mandy Beaumont will be launching The Furies. Her Melbourne launch is at Purple Emerald High Street Northcote at 5.30pm. She'll also be at Avid Reader Boundary Street at 5.30pm for a 6pm start on Friday the 11th of March. We have Anna Featherstone. She'll be at the Port Macquarie Library on 19th of February between 2 and 3.30pm and join novelist Anna Freeman in discussion with clinical psychologist Dr. Tori Miller on Sunday 27th of March 2022 at 4pm North Fitzroy Library. If you can get yourself to an event, I know it supports the book community. Stay safe. The Words and Nerds universe content is created by many talented people. We have the usual episodes and live streams hosted by me, Danny V. There are three regular spin-offs, the popular Burgers, Beers and Books hosted by Ben Hobson, the regular Takeover hosted by Nathan J. Phillips, and a different page hosted by Josie Layton. Check the Words and Nerds website for more details. We also have Takeover episodes where an author interviews another author and they take the conversation wherever they like. Throughout the year, we also have short spin-offs like the Summer Series Takeover, the Nano NaNoWriMo Series, and the Publishing Insider Series. You can find all of these episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll also find us on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, Danny B Books, Words and Nerds Podcast. Stay safe and read more books.